Thank you. Excellent. Praise the Lord. Good to see you. Our lesson for living this morning is going to be a very familiar passage of Scripture, often misconstrued because we often kind of like to place it and say, well, this passage of Scripture belongs to such and such a people. Well, let's turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 7 this morning. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, very familiar passage of Scripture, verse number 12 through verse number 16. And we're going to, uh, we're going to invite you with either your paper edition of the Bible or your iPhone edition, or whatever you might have, we're going to invite you to stand this morning. And let's read the Word of God together. Just follow me. I'm reading in the uh, NAS, but you'll know these verses as soon as we get there. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Now that's in the Old Testament. And I want you to know that's still okay. God was there. And, and He's here. So don't get nervous. He's the God of the ages past, God of the ages past. Future, and he's God of the ages present. Two Chronicles, are you there? Two Chronicles 7, 12, tell me, I'm there, Pastor, say it, I'm there. I didn't ask you if you were here because it looks like some of you aren't. But anyway, here we go. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. And if I should shut up the heavens so that there's no rain, and if I were to command the locusts to devour the land, and if I were to send a pestilence upon you, and if then my people were to call upon my name, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, seek my face, and pray, I will hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and I'll heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive, to the prayers that are offered in this place. For I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Amen? Now here's what I'd like us to do for a second. Just slip your Bibles down, whatever. Uh, but here's what I want you to do. We're not certain if Pastor Darrell's going to be able to watch us this morning, this service. But I want us for just a second... I'm going to invite you to turn and, and face the camera. Maybe we'll be seen, maybe not, but I'm sure you'll be heard. But I want us to pray some intentional, take charge prayer and say, God, you indeed heal Pastor Darrell. God, indeed, you let this pass. And then I want you to also pray for a dear friend of ours, by the name of Pastor Ken Marcus, who's in Phoenix as well. This last week, I was able to sit by his bedside and pray with him. And I want us to say, God, take charge of Pastor Ken. Take charge. So turn, and let's look toward that camera. And if you're, just angle yourself and reach out your hands, and, and let's just pray. Would you pray aloud? Pray aloud and say, God, in the name of you, just pray. Father God, we thank you. We are raising our voices, and we're lifting them to the God of heaven this morning. It is just not appropriate that our pastor be bedridden. He's got a spiritual assignment on his life. He's got some destinations that he needs to go to. And I pray with our brothers and sisters as we stretch out our hand and we say, Father, relieve, let this matter pass. In the name of your son, bring healing 
to Pastor Daryl and bring strength to Pastor Ken in Arizona. Come alongside his bed. Lift his spirit. Encourage his name in the name of Jesus. We believe it's going to be done. We believe that you intend to bring healing in this house, blessing in this house, the power of God in this house. And so we extend the blessings of this house to Pastor Daryl's house and to Pastor Ken's house in the name of Jesus. And everybody raise a shout. Hallelujah! 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 Amen. You may be seated. This has truly been a great week of celebration. We're celebrating the, the birth of our country. Every major activity like this really requires celebration, commemoration, and consecration. This last week, we all gathered together on the 4th, and we had times of celebration. Let me ask you this. How many had some hot dogs on the 4th of July? Anybody have hot dogs? Well, did anybody have brats? Have brats? Well, those are the upper middle class people of our church. They were able to go to brats. How many went to hamburgers? Yes? All right, you had some beef. And was there an occasional steak? May I see the steak hands? Donna, you ate steak when I was gone? What is this? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Why do we do that? We have times where we gather together to celebrate. Times of celebration. Wow. We're celebrating the freedom that we have. But it's also a time of commemoration. It's a time to pause. It's a time to be able to say mentally, internally, our gratitude to people who gave their lives for our freedom. From the 1700s with the Declaration of Independence until today, we've had men and women serving and representing us around the world. So it's a time of commemoration. And then for our country, particularly for us in this passage of Scripture, this week really ought to be a time of consecration. We say, Lord, I'm going to do my best to be a person who walks in, in, with, with integrity and walks with the grace of God, and we become a living witness to men and women of our love for God through Jesus Christ. And it's a time where we consecrate ourselves to the Lord. Well, well, some of you, of course, said hot dogs and hamburgers and so forth. But if you look at the backstory, beginning at verse number 1 of 2 Chronicles 7, what you celebrated this week was nothing like what God can do when he throws a party. Because they were celebrating the opening of the temple of God in Jerusalem. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they had been looking forward to the moment where there would be an opportunity for a place for God's people to be able to come and congregate and say, this is God's house. And so chapter 7 opens up with this resplendent building sitting on a 3,800-foot pinnacle on the top of Mount Zion. And many of you have been there. You don't go down to Zion. You go up to Zion. Hallelujah. You never go down in God. You always go up in God. Amen? God always is a lifter of our head. Amen? He lifts us up. And as you ascend to, to Jerusalem, you, you see this, this building sitting on top. It's made out of white marble. 
It's made with precious stems. There were sapphires that were embedded in parts of it and, and rubies and, and diamonds and all. It, wow, and when the, when the Israeli sun, which is so bright, were to shine down on that, it would literally glisten for miles around. The presence of Almighty God was in a visible form. Well, they wanted to celebrate. So I don't care how many steaks my wife had or how many hamburgers you might have had. God ordered... 22,000 cows to be brought as a sacrifice to Jerusalem. And you read the text, and 120,000 sheep. Talk about barbecued brisket. I mean to tell you, they had it. Well, maybe it wasn't barbecued, but whatever it was. It was the best falafel they could have ever had. Think about it, 120,000 sheep and 20,000, 22,000 cattle? And then the party didn't go on for just one day. The Bible says the feast and the celebrations went on for seven days. Seven days. And of course, all of you probably did everything you could on the 4th of July or the day before to find that right spot to see the fireworks. And in America, you know, they got these little, these little starters and, and the rocket shoots up and you see a little, little, a little light as it goes up and then you just sit there with military, moment, momentary expectations to see this showering group of fireworks come down. Eh, that's nothing compared to what God did. We, we have to shoot things up in order for things to fall back down. But God, the Bible says in the first few verses of chapter 7, the Bible said all of a sudden, God began to rain fire down from heaven. What a moment. This white, glistening, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful temple being highlighted with all of this fire coming down that consumed the sacrifice. And the Bible said God's presence was so powerful that the Bible said the glory of God filled the temple. Wow. You know, you and I have had moments, indescribable, unable to probably try to define it, when you have felt the holy fire of God. And then you have felt that wonderful, wonderful presence of God in your life. And you have felt, perhaps in a little bit of you, a way, but in you, you have felt his glory in your life. Because that's what this passage is all about. Let me talk to you about four things this morning. The first thing is the fact that God is always looking for a place that his presence might come. God is desiring to have a place for his presence. Now, hundreds of years earlier, throughout the wilderness, and as they moved for all those decades in the wilderness, the presence of God was carried in a box called the Ark of the Covenant. And wherever, listen to this now, wherever God's people were, they were there because they were following the pillar of cloud and the, and, and the pillar of fire because they represented where God wanted his presence to go. And then they would move that, that, that tabernacle and they would stay around that tabernacle in an order. And then time to time, the presence of God would come down on that tabernacle. God's always had a place for his presence. Interesting that when God moved, the people moved, 
And where God's people were, his presence were. God's always had a place. Many, many, many years ago, when Pastor Merrill Sr. here was here and started with us at our church, he had, his hair was jet black, 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 black. And because of all of us, now it's white, white, white. I'm looking forward to the time when he puts on a beard and acts as Santa Claus at a, at a Walmart. I just look forward to that moment. Because he truly is a jolly old man. I'm a jolly man. I better not say old. Yeah. But many, 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 many years ago, God had a place in a little white building in Des Plaines. And then many years later, we came here to our gymnasium, and it became our gymatorium. Oh, it was such a fancy name. A gymatorium. He had to kind of dress it up because it was a, a gym. And then several years later, Pastor Merrill led us into the construction of this building. And I, it's a wonderful building, but it kind of doesn't compare to the temple. Nothing's white. Nothing glistens. I've been looking for the sapphires and diamonds for years, never found anything. But you see, God isn't looking for stuff. He's looking for the intentionality of people who God says, notice what he begins to say at verse number 12. He said these words at verse number 12. I have heard your prayer and I've chosen this place for myself to be a place of sanctuary. You can be in Cuba and she can sense the sanctuary presence of God in a lean-to building in Cuba. You can be in Tanzania in a hut or in, in Haiti in a hut, and all of a sudden the presence of God comes there because that becomes the designated sanctuary where God sanctuaries His presence. Hallelujah. Amen. We may be here in this building, or you might be in a, in a tent meeting in, in, in southern Argentina. It's, it's not a matter about what the structure looks like. It's a matter that there's a place that's been designated for God to be able to know that he is welcome to come here and penetrate the environment with his presence. Hallelujah. Do we welcome him in this place? Is he welcome to come in here? Hallelujah. We welcome you, God. Come to us in Christian life. God says, this place this place. I will bring my presence. God is constantly looking for a place that he might deposit his glory, his presence, his fire, and his power. Now here's his favorite place. Because he goes on to say, not only do I desire to have a place, but he said, I'm looking for a people. God is looking for a place, and God's ultimate place is not a tabernacle to be carried in a wilderness. It's not a temple to be sitting on top of a mountain. The ultimate place for God to sanctuary and bring his presence is within the people of God. Hallelujah. His desire is to live in your life and to show himself strong as a person of God. He wants you to feel his sanctuary presence in your life. Sanctuary. Because instead of being brought about in a box, or once a year everybody having to make the trek all over Israel to go up to the mountain, God says, I'm going to bring my presence to where you are. 
And wherever you are, you are going to carry my presence to the nations. And here's what he says about his people. He said, you are people who are called by my name. In other words, you are God-identified. You are God-identified. God acknowledges you. He identifies you. Now, there are 300 million, give or take, a few million in my miscalculations of Americans, and there's a lot of great people out here. But there are people who are distinctively called by God and are identified by God because they choose to be identified by God and choose to allow God to be the one who they identify. I am a person of God. Hallelujah. I've been called by God. Let me ask you this. Everybody be willing to raise your hands all together now. If you are an imperfect person, please raise your hand. Imperfect. Imperfect. If you are an imperfect, did I say perfect? Oh, I'm sorry. Imperfect. Keep them up. Imperfect, 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 imperfect. Raise your hand. Otherwise, if I don't see a hand raised, I'm going to consider you perfect, and I'm going to bring you up here. You may have put your hand down. Congratulations. You are the prime candidate to be considered the people of God. Listen, Christian Life Church is not for perfect people. Because <laughs> there aren't any. But here's what we are. Follow this now. We are a group of imperfect people following a perfect God who's journeying us with a perfect plan who is ultimately going to bring us to a perfect place. All right? Let's do it again. You and I are imperfect people. We have flaws. We have limitations. We're finite. We have difficulties. We make difficulties. We have challenges. We generate challenges. We are imperfect. We are all imperfect people who are following in the journey of spiritual life a perfect God. Hallelujah. My leader is a perfect leader. My God is a perfect God, hallelujah. And I can follow my perfect God who is leading me in a perfect path, in a perfect plan, who will ultimately lead all of us to a perfect place. And when we get to heaven, we're going to have perfect praise. Woo, hallelujah. Wow. Talk about fire and the kind of glory. Wow. I even think there's going to be popcorn there, which I know is going to be good because I've always believed it was actually popcorn that they gave as manna in the wilderness. That's my own take on it. The Bible said it was kind of white, it was kind of fluffy, and no hard kernels. Mm. Anyway, I don't know why I said that, but anyway, I have the opportunity to, because I'm an imperfect preacher. Here we go. Now, in order for you and I to become the place where a perfect God chooses to reside and sanctuary. He tells us that thirdly, there's a process. A process. And there's three parts to this process. And all of us can pass this test. You can pass this test. There are three components to it. Number one, God says, be people of humility. People of humility. 
Don't think more of yourself than what you really are. Have a proper understanding and estimation of who you are. Be humble. Recognize that you are a wonderful, wonderful person made in the image and likeness of God, but we have, our, 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 again, our flaws, our imperfections. We have some very good moments naturally, but sometimes we have some bad moments. A person who is humble is a person who self-recognizes that he needs a divine being outside of himself. An imperfect person recognizes that you need a power greater than yourself to bring you through life and bring you through life with victory. You see, the Bible says that um, the proud are ultimately going to have what happened to them. They're going to be humbled. And God says, if you feel like you're self-sufficient, that you can handle everything in life, you don't, I, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And there's a lot of people who says, oh, just believe you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. There's some things you cannot do. But if you're one of those people that says, I'm self-sufficient, I don't need a God, God would say, all right, he's a gentleman. He'll just step back. And he'll say, have at it. Secondly, God's looking for people who engage in activity. Two types of activity. One of us is this. Those people have, first of all, they walk in humility, and then they walk with activity. What are those activities? One, you pray. And secondly, you hunger to seek the face of God. If my people will, what? Humble themselves, and secondly, pray, and what? Seek my face. God loves hungry people. Are you hungry for God? Are you hungry for his presence? Are you hungry just to be able to have that moment with God? Because you know those moments when, when, when you don't feel that moment. You know that moment when you, but oh, when you pray and seek your face. I used to pioneer in church years ago, and I had a, I had a, uh, I had um, one of those big old Oldsmobiles. It was so long. It was, the front end was about the length of a football field, and, 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 and it had a, a real short back end. And it, it had a place for eight tracks. How many ever, I mean, nobody that doesn't have white hair doesn't know what an eight track, but some of us have eight tracks. That was, that was so cool to have an eight track. The only problem is they were so big you had to decide if you were a young guy or a young girl, do I bring a date with me or not? Because the eight tracks had to sit on the seat next to you. So either, I mean, who meant more to you? The, the eight track or, because you, you would have to, you'd have to have boxes for those, for those eight tracks. And, and many of you understand, and Damon who's here totally understands that I'm not a vocalist, I'm not a singer, but I love to sing. I love to praise God. I love to worship him. So I would have my eight tracks as I was driving back and forth from Chicago to Moments to pastor the church, and I put that eight track on. And I, I, I mean, it was just me and God. God is tone deaf to my voice. I mean, he understands. He, he's a very sympathetic guy. And, and I would just sing, and I would praise the Lord. And, and I would, you know, I would never text because you couldn't in those days. But I knew that I could keep that car going down the middle of the, of the lane, and I could clap my hands because my, when my tires were balanced, I could do that. 
And people would drive on I-90 on either side of me, and they would look, look as I was talking to God. But now we've gone from eight tracks to what? Cassettes. We've gone from cassettes to what? CDs. And now we've gone to what? Bluetooth, which I've never seen anybody ever have a Bluetooth. But you can have hands-free music. And now everybody has phones. And so now, listen, this is the optimum time for you to use your car to pray and to talk to God. Because you can talk out loud and everybody thinks you're normal today. You're abnormal if you don't talk. You're abnormal if your lips aren't smacking one another. So take advantage of it and talk to God. And secondly, hunger for his presence. Seek his face. The word seek there in the, in the Hebrew transliteration basically says there's intentionality. You go after God. You go after him. You're, 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 you're running after him. He, he, he wants to see that you're serious. Humility, activity, and thirdly, purity. Because God says then he wants you to repent and turn away from your sins. Now that seems impossible. How can flawed people walk with purity? God is looking for the activity of your heart so that the, the, the things that you and I might engage in in the past, things that, that, that have allowed themselves to become speed bumps and traps for us, God basically says, true repentance is just not saying, God, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's spiritually turning your back on those activities and those thoughts and those moments. Let them get behind you and move forward focusing on God. That's how simple it is. You turn your mind to different thoughts. You turn your eyes to different things that you see. You turn off the TV at certain times. You turn the channels the, the right way rather than the wrong way. All of that brings us then for God to say, I will always look for a place. And more particularly, I will look for a people who have gone willingly through the process to fourthly be ready to receive my promises. Because this passage tells us that God wants to have a place and that place is his people, number two, and that there's this process we go through on an ongoing basis. It's an ongoing basis because we're imperfect. We're imperfect. We're always in training. We're always being a follower. We're always being discipled. So it's an ongoing thing that us imperfect people are still doing those three things, always trying to walk humbly before God, seeking his face, and turning from things we don't need to do. And God says, if I see you doing those things, if I hear you doing those things, God says, I will give you three promises. Here's, here's the process. Purity. What's the second one? Activity. What was the first one? Humility. 
God says, if you do these three things, here are three things that I will do for you. I will be a God, number one, of hearing you, forgiving you, and healing you. I will hear from heaven. I'll hear from heaven. I'm constantly going to be hearing you. I'm constantly going to be forgiving you. I'm constantly going to be healing your land. So I don't know what land that you might have, but I believe he wants to bring healing in your own life. Healing from the scars of the past. Healing from from stuff that the enemy wants to dig up and he wants to heal so so that you're just not even there anymore. He not only wants you to know that you're forgiven, he forgets about what you did. You're healed. Hallelujah. You can start fresh. You can have healing in your relationships, healing in your life, healing in your mind, healing in your spirit. Healing. Hallelujah. Healing in your land. Healing at 805 Tide Court, our home address. Healing wherever I go. I can believe that God is going to forgive me when I do err and make one of my stupid mistakes. Because you know what? I'm not intelligent, but intelligent people make stupid mistakes. Because there was a very strong human sociologist called, uh, called uh, oh, what was his name? Forrest Gump, who said, stupid is, is stupid does. Let's stand together in the house of the Lord. In a moment, I want to just impart the blessing that Pastor Darrell gives to us every week. When you have a chance, you'll want to read this passage because in just these few verses, the personal pronoun my is used by God at least six times. He said, I'm looking for my people, my people who are called by, secondly, what? My name. Even though I know that we might have to do it humbly before God, as I say this now, how many of you in faith will say, you're a people of God? I am. I'm a person of God. And I'm called by his name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God said then, thirdly, They will seek my face. And then he says, if you do, my eyes and my ears and my heart will always be toward you. The last verse that I read, I'd like to read again because God says, I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name will be here forever and my eyes and my heart will be perpetually there. Let me say this. We've got these GPS things that you've got these buttons you can alert on your car. You can press buttons. And no matter where you're at, the the satellites can find you in case you need help. And you press that button and a voice comes on. May I help you? Is there an emergency? Of course, you have to pay extra for that. Bless the poor person that can only afford hot dogs and not have that in their kind of a car. Like these brats people can. But you don't have to worry about that because the eyes of the Lord are moving through and fro throughout the earth to look for those whose name is the name of God on their life. God will help you. Here's something so simple. I was 
I was driving about 80 miles south of here a few years ago. I had stayed up all night long. I was on another project. I had my suit on, and I'm driving 80 miles in the morning to go to this church. The pastor's not there. In fact, they don't even have a pastor, and so I'm running down there to this church to help them out. I got this old car that I had, and I'm driving down there on Highway 1 going south, and, and uh, I'm hungry, I'm really hungry, and I'm rushing to get down there, and I'm dressed up in my suit, and all of a sudden, kaboom! That, that sinking sound of a tire going flat. Ugh. How many know those moments? Ugh. I pulled off the ramp, and lo and behold, I was able to pull my car in, boom, 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 into the parking lot of a McDonald's. I was still 20 miles short of my goal going to the church. I'm as hungry as can be. I'm at McDonald's. I don't even know if I have a spare tire in my trunk. It was a tough moment. I'm thinking, I got the suit on. I know what this entails to do this tire. I'm going to run out of time, and I'm hungry. And all of a sudden, a car comes off the road, parks next to me. And a wonderful African-American brother steps out. I'm standing by the car, my suit on. He said, hmm, flat tire. I'm thinking, he has a spirit of discernment. <laughs> he said, you're dressed up like you're a preacher. I'm thinking, he's getting hotter all the time. He said, you know, I just came from early service. He said, why don't you just pop your trunk? It would be an honor and a pleasure for me to change your tire. And he said, why don't you just duck into McDonald's and get something to eat? I'm thinking, he is walking in the power and the wisdom of Almighty God. <laughs> I went in, had my McDonald's. I had about three bucks left, and I spent the whole thing there. I was relishing my moment. I came back out. The tire was done. He was going like this. We gave each other a big hug in God. I said, what's your name? He said, I'm just named by God. Got in his car and drove off. And I drove off and got to church in time to preach God's word. The eyes of the Lord are perpetually upon you. Do you not know that God knows where you are and what you need? And God will hear from heaven. Here we go. Put your hands out. May the Lord, may the Lord bless you. Receive this. May the Lord bless you and protect you. This is the Bible. This is out of numbers. Listen to the next one. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor. Say favor. Favor. And give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, let's give the Lord a clap offering. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. All right, go out there and wherever you go, the devil's going to be nervous because you're going to bring light into a dark area. Have a great day. God's grace.